Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Print Design Podcast. This is the show where we are interviewing very talented graphic designers and creatives about the print projects that they helped bring to life. Those incredible projects that went out in the world and made an impact and are now those objects that you can hold in your hand and get really jazzed and excited about. Before I introduce today's guest and tell you what we're talking about, I want to let you know that coming up on May 12th, just over two weeks from now, we are launching Print Design Mastery. This is the membership opportunity where we are teaching graphic designers to be experts in print from the terms they need to know, the different papers that are available and how to pick one, all that file work stuff that will help you export print-ready files every single time to finding printers, working with printers, proofing with printers, whew, all of it, including how to increase the revenue of your design business, your freelance career, using print design. All of that teamed up with an incredible supportive community where we are going live interviews and conversations with experts out in that print design field, as well as extra little lessons and teaching to help you implement the lessons that we've got for you. It's an incredible value. There's some fast action bonus stuff going on there. Make sure you are connected with us on social media at printdesign underscore academy on Instagram, as well as our email list. Head over to printdesignacademy.com and sign up for our sweet, sweet little file export checklist right now because you get an awesome checklist for your files and you're on the list. So you're going to be one of the first ones to know when we get cracking on May 12th, the launch of Print Design Mastery. This project has been... Gosh, I want to say two and a half years in the making. Um, so we're really excited to bring that to you and help designers create more print. That is the whole core of it all. Help designers create more print. That's it. So today on the show, I am talking with Drew from Good Fortune Collective out of good old Vancouver, British Columbia. Now, I am a fan of mountain biking. I've got a mountain bike. I wish I got out there more often than I currently do, but me and my son both enjoy it, and I've always loved mountain biking and that biking culture. Now, Drew and the team at Good Fortune Collective put together a handbook for Yeti Cycles, which is an incredible like pioneer and ambassador of the whole mountain bike culture and, and biking world, and this piece is incredible. As soon as I saw it on Instagram, I thought, I got I got to find out who created this and I got to get them on the show because the piece is just so striking and beautiful. Now, if you visually want to see it, I'm going to get some pictures up on Instagram, but you can also go to one of the websites that I will link in the description of this podcast and see what this thing looks like because it, it's just incredible. It's such a great tactile brand experience um, that, that they created for Yeti Cycles. So it's really exciting. I'm not going to tell you any of this story. I'm going to let Drew tell it and tell you how this project came to life and how it was literally 30 years in the making. You know, I'll let him break that down for you. But ladies and gentlemen, let's get right into it and start with the intro. Here we go. Welcome to the Print Design Podcast, the show where we talk about all things print and packaging. We go behind the scenes with designers and talk about the print projects they designed that really rocked their world. From file prep to holding the finished product in their hand and all the key decisions in between. So 
Let's talk ink on paper. Drew, welcome to the Print Design Podcast, my friend. How are you? I'm good, man. Thank you so much for, for having me. It's good to be here. No, it's great. We've got construction in the background, a true Vancouver environment. <laughs> Our studio <laughs> is, um, is in Gastown, and, uh, yeah. and yeah, there's certainly never a dull moment, and, and there's definitely lots of uh, change happening here, and so, yeah, that's just part of the ambiance. Exactly. Isn't Gastown in just, like, perpetual construction? Yeah, I'd say that's a pretty pretty fair statement for sure. <laughs> Perfect. Awesome. Yep. Well, let's kick it off with what I like to describe as probably the toughest question of them all because it involves you having to talk about yourself. Oh, um, gosh. So, <laughs> Drew, tell the listeners about yourself. Who are you? What do you got cooking? Sure. So, um, well, my name is Drew Peltler. I'm uh, uh, the founder and creative director here at Good Fortune Collective, and mm -hmm. we're a creative boutique that's really focused on helping brands realize their best potential for good, and, and creativity is, is, is how we do that. Um, you know, we really hold ourselves to a standard of positively impacting something or someone with every assignment that we do, and mm -hmm. so we focus on working with partners that share that same vision and have a desire to, to do good with their brand, and, and certainly, um, it makes the, the, the effort that we put into the, the, the projects that we do um, well, worth the, uh, well worth it. Um, I'm definitely one of those people who listened to um, uh, the folks around me to, to do what I love. And so um, this has been sort of a lifelong pursuit and journey for me um, mm -hmm. using creativity and Pretty early on, it was clear that the traditional academic streams didn't really mesh with a hyperactive kid who'd rather illustrate their essays than write them. Yeah, and so for sure. fortunately for me, I, I, uh, I, I had a, a high school art teacher that turned me on to art as a commercial pursuit, which I had never really realized as an option, right? I mean, there's you know, all these things that, that you could be as a career path and, and being a commercial artist just wasn't something that you were sort of taught in, in school. And so, um, well, I should say with the exception of this particular um, art teacher I had. And so that really changed everything because suddenly computers were a place where it wasn't really for academia anymore. It was a place that you could create visually impactful art that just led to such a natural progression to art direction and design and, and a career um, in this industry. So straight out of high school, I, I went um, onto an advertising and design stream in college. And then I was interning at an advertising agency as an art director at age 21. Um, and it really, I've been in pursuit of this ever since. And like, it's been a really fun journey for me. I've worked at a number of different agencies, both in Canada and in the US. Mm -hmm. um, had the opportunity to, to shoot uh, all around the world on, on you know, various continents and um, you know, art-directed global product launches in, in 50 countries in 35 languages, erected billboards in Times Square, made out of recycled electronics and like, um, I even had a character that, that, um, that I created um, for one of the brands I was working for that became a float, uh, a, 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 a blimp um, that nice. was in the Macy's Holiday Parade 
um, had the opportunity one to make of those super giant ones that they're like walking down the street. That's right. That's exactly it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was really cool. cool. It was interactive too. It was, um, it was for Best Buy. And anyways, this particular character, um, was holding a digital camera and it was live streaming sort of a crowd view from above, um, really? you, That's know, so you know, from cool. this character. Yeah. It was, it was, it, yeah, just like super rad projects and like, you know, got to make a Super Bowl commercial and, you know, help brands really find resonance, you know, during the pandemic. Um, and then just like had other projects that have been meaningful and impactful and, and just great to be a part of, like um, really helping foster community through apps that inspire people to, you know, this particular one helped inspire people to run together in New York during the, the marathon time and then redeem points. Um, that they earned at a custom-built brand house in Soho. And I mean, just like through all of those projects had so many um, memorable moments and things that like you kind of had to pinch yourself. Um, I mean, certainly not a life highlight, but still kind of fun uh, during the shooting of the Super Bowl commercial. Um, it actually landed me on TMZ. And so the paparazzi <laughs> had, had snuck into the studio that we were shooting at. Um, in uh, in Burbank and um, anyways yeah they, they tried to get some behind the scenes shot of some of the celebrities that we were shooting and I ended up in the background of a shot with Justin Bieber um, <laughs> you know and so so anyways um, um, yeah it's just it's it's really been an incredible journey to just sort of be creative and be a professional yeah. creative um, and I think the the thing that's been most memorable for me is just having the chance to to learn from and collaborate with, and really um, um, do some teaching now that I'm in the, the, the role that I'm in as a, as a creative director has been just by far the most rewarding experience of the journey. And there's just, there's so many people who've had a profound impact on my career. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Evan Fry, Rob Riley, Mike Danko, you know, one of my longtime um, creative partners, writers, Dimitri Daniloff, um, Sterling Lawrence, like just some of the world's best photographers. Um, and, and, you know, I also, when I was working in the States, had the opportunity to work with the greatest art director of the modern era of advertising, um, the late Dave Swartz. And, and so, again, just really fortunate to have had those experiences and, and work with so many incredible people, both in a learning context and collaboration context. And so... Yeah, yeah. Very um, happy to be a part of this creative community. Mm -hmm. Man, what like, you know, you, you're saying it all as if it was just sort of like a, a day at the office, but like there's some profound experiences within that, I'm confident. Sure. Um, you know, it was, so a few things I pulled from that. It was interesting you were pointing out, you know, when you were younger, being that kid who like the academic world was just like, eh. You know, you, but when you have the opportunity for those creative outlets, that's when you're really lit up. And I went to a traditional like academic school and okay. I've got kids, I've got kids who go to a fine arts school and the contrast and differences, like we're kind of learning the same stuff that I learned and that they're learning now. Sure. They're doing it through art, through digital art, through working in Photoshop, from doing all these things. I'm like, that's school? Like, yeah, it's just such gosh. a different experience. For sure, and, and, and um, if, if that had been my childhood, I mean, I, I can only imagine um, maybe 
how more quickly I, I, I may have blossomed and, and been able to really pour myself into school. I mean, mm-hmm. um, I mean, yeah, those early years were, were, were difficult and, and mostly because I just had a different learning style, learning visually and, and, and not learning by reading or, or, or learning by, you know, sort of the structure of, of those types of lessons. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, no, it's just incredible that that, that progression is happening and it continues to sort of open, you know, sort of the eyes and minds of, of, of today's youth. I mean, I'm certainly optimistic for what the future holds. For sure. And the other moment, the thing that I thought of here while you were sort of going through some of your story is that TMZ moment where, you know, you and Justin Bieber, like you guys must be on like a texting basis now and going back and forth. Ugh. You don't come out of a TMZ moment, you know, without a close friendship. You know what? In, uh, definitely an interesting experience uh, um, on that shoot. We also shot with um, uh, Sharon and Ozzy Osbourne, um, <laughs> a really crazy Super Bowl spot talking about the pace of technological change. And yeah. in the context of that spot, um, the old model, um, Ozzy Osbourne, is being replaced with the, 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 the new model. Um, so certainly uh, quite fun to be around. Uh, you know, those, uh, th- those folks and, and the highlight for me on, on the end of that shoot, um, I actually got to, to see Ozzy live in concert um, in Los Angeles um, and, uh, and had the whole backstage experience. And, and so, um, yeah, that was more the, uh, uh, the, the highlight than uh, getting to spend the day with Justin Bieber, the, <laughs> you know, our, our fellow countryman, fellow Canadian, um, but nonetheless an awesome experience. So is Ozzy Osbourne easier to understand when you talk to him or when he sings? Uh, you know what? I think that, um, uh, and I hope I'm not uh, blowing the, uh, the, the cover on this, but I think it's a, a common misconception that Ozzy is um, the character that he portrays himself as For in sure. his reality TV show. Um, yeah. Very uh, lovely, uh, gentle, kind, mm-hmm. and quite coherent um, person to be around. So, um, yeah, that was the quite magic illuminating. Of, magic of TV and characters, right? It, 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 absolutely. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. let's kick this over to some sort of print conversation here, Drew. And sure. I want to know what is your earliest memory of printer packaging? Maybe something oh, from your childhood, something from sure. your teens? Yeah. No, I mean, um, that would have to be uh, um, a series of interactive children's books from the 1950s. Um, okay. my, um, my grandma used to read them to, to my sisters and, and I at night. And of course, like we used to fight over who got to hold the books because, <laughs> and, and heavily illustrated and, and, and beautiful color palettes and whatnot. But some of the key spreads and the covers, for example, um, had areas of the illustrations that were that were um, covered in felt, and so mm-hmm. it was just mind blowing to see an illustration of a bear, and then be able to feel its fur right on the page. And mm-hmm. I'm not really sure if like the books helped me remember the sort of moral life lessons that were being taught in the books, <laughs> but certainly the bright colors and the interactive nature of the printing got us excited, you know, for for, for bedtime reading and. Um, I actually uh, have a couple of those uh, those books. One is that one cover um, that's quite memorable is is framed on the wall um, at home, and it certainly brings back uh, some some really uh, incredible memories. 
Yeah, books like that are get, were really just designed to like get kids really interested in holding and interacting with books. But like that's that's early print memories. That's like early sure. nostalgia, right? Yeah, and also like I think it's it's interesting like as kids we all tend to respond to that type of of learning and engagement mm -hmm. through the visual means. And so it's just really interesting to see how as life progresses, people's paths change, uh, and and certainly everyone has a different learning style. But but that very rudimentary, almost childlike learning style never really left me. And I think that that that's actually a big contributor to the lens in which I view the world and and really view um, the assignments that we we get to work on is thinking about like what is that interactivity, what is the experience you want people to have, and what's the feeling you want them to 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 really take away from um, holding something, touching something, reading something, and whether they're reading the visual or they're reading a printed word, um, mm -hmm. um, but also being able to touch and feel it. Um, it just all is is a part of uh, of making lasting impressions. Lasting impressions, a hundred percent. I like the way you said that. Uh, so let's kick it up a little bit more recently. Have you had any recent interactions with print or packaging that you really enjoyed or really surprised you? Sure, sure. Yeah, no, I, um, um, geez, just this past uh, uh, holiday, um, I received a gift that was packaged in mycelium foam. So like a biodegradable packaging material made of mushrooms. And mm -hmm. um, I mean, that was just again, really impactful for me and certainly a particular area of focus for us at, at GFC. But mm -hmm. I think as designers, we have a responsibility not to only deliver an incredible experience in discovering the product when it's open, but we mm -hmm. also need to ensure that the materials that achieve that experience don't have a lasting impact on the world, right? Mm -hmm. And so the fact that the packaging didn't need to even be recycled was really the win for me. I could compost yeah. it at home and actually grow new things with the packaging. So that's, that's just <laughs> so, a, a huge win. Cool and, and certainly it's, it's one of those things where, um, uh, you know, my hope is that the, the world and, and uh, designers and art directors and creatives are, 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 are thinking with that whole project sort of life cycle in mind. Yeah, for sure. And whether that's, you know, something like in your case where the whole thing is compostable or secondary uses of packaging, you know, once somebody Precisely. gets the product out of there, how can this be reused and not just end up in the landfill or end up like being tossed, right? So exactly. through that, you know, designers really are on the forefront of that. For sure. And, and again, I think that like, you know, at a bare minimum, the piece has to communicate what you want it to and mm -hmm. also has to be beautiful. And just achieving those things is difficult for, for some assignments and, and some projects. Mm -hmm. But that's actually kind of just the price of entry. Um, the, the notion that uh, the, the, the entire experience can deliver something more and have an impact on you know, its, its viewer, um, but also have you know, as minimal an impact or serve uh, you know, an extended purpose beyond uh, the, the, the packaging itself is, is really um, where the opportunity is today. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better myself, for sure. Um, so sticking sort of with that, crafting an experience is, is sort of like the bucket that I would put it, that in, where sure. you're creating this experience, you're, you're delivering a message, but you're also thinking about future uses and things like that. Do you think some of that stuff ties into why 
designers are such a fan of print and packaging and you know why they're hanging on to iPhone boxes for seven years and like like why we're almost you know uh, constructive hoarders of great <laughs> print and, and, and packaging like what makes it so special I mean I think that like when the experience or the knowledge or the entertainment that the the print or, or packaging delivers is worth the effort and the impact of making it then mm-hmm. then of course that's quite a rewarding experience and and having the opportunity to really shape that experience and try to achieve you know that goal as as you know sort of the intent of the project is what makes print or any really i mean any commercial creative pursuit so rewarding mm-hmm. um but yeah i think that that's why uh, as designers and creatives we can really um, dive so deep because holding something in the physical world uh, certainly has a different type of experience than than than, than any digital um, scenario. Uh, but this this idea that um, digital experiences are interactive and print is not is an absolutely a fallacy. Print can absolutely be interactive. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, there's a cadence in which you uh, uh, can can view or discover. Um, that uh, that product, if you're unboxing it, um, I mean, heck, you can even you can even observe um, how many unboxing videos there are, you know, uh, <laughs> yes. posted to YouTube, right? And 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 certainly, you know, that process of learning, discovering, um, getting to know the product, and having that surprise and delight through that process um, is something that even people enjoy watching others enjoy that, that, that experience, right? Which is kind of insane, yeah. right? But it's certainly a testament to, um, well, just how profound that, that can be when it's done right. That's almost like one of the biggest compliments a, a graphic designer could get is that, you know, we're, or not the, but one of the, uh, one of them is, you know, you've created something, an experience, an unboxing experience, a packaging experience that's so great. Not only did it deliver for your customer and sure. their clients, it expands to other people just unboxing it and thousands of people watching them unbox yeah, it. Yeah, sure. It's like, okay, sure. nailed that, nailed it. Well, it's just, it's, it's an interesting observation. Like as designers, it's not about scratching a personal itch or trying to mm-hmm. like, express you know some sort of uh, of personal desire it really is mm-hmm. leaning into the type of uh, experience you want um, people to have right and and not thinking about people as consumers or 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 or, or um, thinking about um, what's the ROI per se um, really if you put people first uh, then those things come uh, along with the journey and so um, again like you know, this phenomena of unboxing uh, videos and the, that being an entertainment stream for folks. I mean, it's just absolute proof that, again, like when you do it right, <laughs> yes. um, it, it, it certainly is impactful. So, yeah, just Absolutely. just super rad world that, that we live in. Um, and, and again, like, you know, that form of entertainment exists in, in other mediums. I mean, certainly the phenomena of of, of watching people play games live is also quite, quite fascinating. You're not playing the game, you're, 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 you're watching the e-athlete, the e-sports happening. And so, yeah. um, again, it's certainly shaping culture, but it's absolutely mm-hmm. uh, having its influence through, through print and, and packaging. It's like when I was a kid, my parents were like, oh, get, get off that thing. 
you know, you've been on there enough. Right. Now, kid, kids these days, like, mom, I'm making money. Like, look, yeah, look exactly. right there on the screen. I'm, like, making money. These are my people, my subscribers. Yeah, you know, you exactly. That stuff. No, just a totally I mean, it's... different world, right? It, it, well, it's so cool how the technology can really um, help to open the doors for new types of creativity. And even mm -hmm. printing techniques and, and, and packaging, for example, you know, having uh, packaging that is, is compostable like that mycelium, um, mm -hmm. you, you know, uh, packaging that, that I had an experience with, it, it, it just really um, uh, gives designers, creatives, uh, new canvases, new platforms, new opportunities to really get creative, you know, w within the constraints. So, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely something that if you view it as uh, an opportunity, you can definitely uh, lead to some exciting uh, new solves and, and new places. Yeah, and the other thing that I often point out to graphic designers is that it's not just the the brands that are going on the store shelf where you need to think about the packaging of the experience. And the example I give is, you know, imagine a company that sells exclusively through Amazon that has no packaging, hasn't considered packaging, just throws it in a box with some stuffing and it goes to the consumer. Even if that product is amazing, that experience wasn't. Mm -hmm. But if you made some great packaging, maybe some foil stamping, something that had some messaging to it and, you know, really introduced that brand to that consumer, it's completely a different experience, even though the product is still the same. For sure. For sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, early on in your career, it's, it's, um, it's common to fall into the trap that you're like, hey, like when, when are the cool projects going to happen? You know, when am I gonna have the opportunity to do that like juicy packaging thing? And, you know, using the example that you just described, hey, I'm just like working on this Amazon project where, you know, the, the purchase decision has been made before someone even, you know, holds the product or, or, or has yeah. an opportunity to interact with the packaging. But um, I mean, the greatest opportunity you have is the one that's on your desk currently, <laughs> yes. right? And, and, and so um, when, you, when you view your, your projects and your workload, you know, through that lens, then, I mean, it's, it's quite surprising um, what can happen. Uh, and, and certainly uh, that's something that we, that we do here at GFC. Like, you know, a mm -hmm. lot of the, the projects that we work on uh, don't have a brief um, and, and weren't asked for by the, um, the partners that we work with. But we implicitly knew that there was not only an opportunity, but a need for these types of solves. Um, and, uh, and, and you know what, when you uh, present it in the right way and, and mm -hmm. you know, really help to illuminate what that need is, then, then stuff gets made and, and not just stuff. I mean, things that are, are worth the, the effort of putting the ink on the paper and, and, um, and, and bringing it to life. Yeah, and that's, again, also where, where trust is so important between you and the client, right? Because if they come to you for an app and you go, okay, we got you with the app, but <laughs> hear me out here. And then you're like adding, you know, a book, adding something else, adding a direct sure. mail, adding these extra elements and, and them just trusting you with, you know what, he's, he's, got a, he's, he's, got the, he's on the right track here. We definitely need to do this thing. Well, there's, there's a really interesting... Um, dichotomy that exists where when you've got new economy brands out there, things that mm -hmm. exist in the digital space or highly technological 
products or connected products mm -hmm. and, and, and things like that, that if you want to legitimize that brand, they often turn to quote unquote old world, you know, kind of mediums to legitimize so that, true. That, that, that business, right? And mm -hmm. so they turn to print. I mean, even if you think in the most rudimentary sense, like when, when YouTube wants to promote, which is a hundred percent, you know, sort of digital online platform, when they want to promote a show, well, what do they do? They run billboards, right? They turn to <laughs> traditional media yes. to legitimize and tell the world that, that, that this is what's happening. But conversely, when you've got old world, you know, sort of economy and, and businesses who have mm -hmm. existed in that space, when they want to contemporize and modernize their businesses, they go the other way and they, they bring in, you know, digital means of communication and, and, and really um, contemporize their business through that digital lens. So, mm -hmm. you know, this idea that um, uh, if you are, uh, um, you know, a digital brand, you don't need print or print is dead. Again, absolutely missed opportunities and, and it's a fallacy. You need both, mm -hmm. right? So. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's definitely, um, again, interesting behaviors to kind of observe and, you know, just put to bed these, these notions that, oh, print is, uh, is old world or, or, or less relevant. It's absolutely not the case. So it's funny you say that because one of the things that I'm, <clears throat> I'm sort of, ex I talk a lot about right now is especially over the last two and a bit years with COVID and everybody doing Zoom meetings, everybody's pushed digital, sure. digital, digital. I, I feel that printed experiences, whether it's a book, really great packaging, direct mail that's done really well and clever, that literally arrives in your mailbox, that stuff is almost more sought after now because we're all numbed out with these digital experiences. So you, there's an opportunity for companies and brands right now to really stand out in print, in this tactile form, to, to really reach out to their audiences. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Like the pendulum definitely swings and, and certainly, mm -hmm. you know, as the world locked down as it needed to, um, mm -hmm. to, to, to protect the, you know, people who, who were, were higher risk, um, mm -hmm. you know, during a, a very difficult global time. Um, yeah, we, we turned to digital and, and it was um, the right choice, but, but certainly mm -hmm. there is a thirst now for um, physical experiences and, and, and print is, is absolutely a part of that. And, and um, we've certainly observed uh, that, uh, th that our partners are, are open to um, and, and responding very well to ideas that, uh, that exist in, in the printed space, for sure. Awesome. Love that. Love hearing that. So what, uh, let's kick it back sort of in history a little bit more here, Drew. And I sure. want to hear about the very first print project that you were ever a <laughs> oh, part gosh. of. Huh. Um, I mean, the like first, first project ever or like i mean there's been so many projects over the years it's it's difficult yeah. to pinpoint one okay so um, i'll let i'll let you take it away whether it's sort of like the first in your career or the you know maybe it's the sure. the yearbook in high school maybe yeah, it's a, yeah, okay, a business card like whatever you want right take it well, where you want but give me some I'll, early days i'll share i'll share an early um an early uh, uh, print assignment from from uh gfc um okay. so it was a it was a, a, a pocket book. Um, and this is actually kind of an interesting way to sort of illuminate the, the, the power of print. Um, 
So it was a three-inch pocketbook that you could literally cup in the palm of your hand. Okay. Uh, and it was designed to help uh, um, uh, people from, from, you know, one of the partners that we work with learn about an incredible new technology that they had launched. But mm-hmm. it got distilled down into this tiny three-inch book um, because the, the folks that were using it needed a quick at-a-glance guide um, to deliver information with, uh, uh, well, it was a, a cycling-related thing. And so with riders and, and with different um, industry folks, and it was used at a, a trade show. Um, mm-hmm. Again, it's so interesting because you would have thought that it would be the type of, of thing that um, you would put on a phone or like have in a digital space. But um, the reality was that that analog version was um, the thing that ended up being that tool and so it was designed as something to, um, you know, really be pragmatic, be functional. But it, mm-hmm. the folks that they were speaking to wanted to, to, to take the information away, right? And so because yeah. we had embraced this, the format and, and the art direction, um, you know, really made the, the power of a, a tiny three-inch book, a palm-sized book, be powerful. Mm-hmm. That, that, you know, it was a, a sales tool that ended up being you know, uh, uh, something that people wanted to, to take home. Um, I mean, the printing wasn't remarkable. It was a, a, a well-executed five-color job, um, but really it was the format uh, that embraced, you know, sort of the, the, the size and the art direction that, that, that brought it to life. But um, yeah, just a, just a fun one. And, and speaking of the power print, I mean, that one literally, you know, was this big <laughs> just literally fit in the palm of your hand exactly there's so many ways you could have got, you could go with that too is you know the powers in the palm of your hand or the controls you know when it fits in the i see i see where you went with that exactly yeah just a just a fun project to to be a part of but like just in the gamut of of mm-hmm. of projects like having been you know in the industry for for a while and and yeah. having had the opportunity to um, you know, sort of ride that roller coaster. I mean, certainly mm-hmm. there are peaks and valleys and, and um, you know, not every project turns out. <laughs> um, <laughs> which actually is a beautiful segue okay, into yeah. the next question. Sure. Which is, have you ever been a part of a print project that didn't turn out as you'd hope? One that well, y- didn't yeah. go well, went sideways, off the rails? Of course. I mean, I mean, sadly, that that is part of the, the, the process and like... Mm-hmm. You know, there are so many um, obstacles that you can encounter uh, during the creation process, whether it's colors not turning out as intended or mm-hmm. errors made in the printer form, um, where really that relationship that you formulate with your printer is absolutely critical to ensuring mm-hmm. that the, the project gets delivered as intended. Yep. Um, I mean, we, we had a... Um, an entire print run show up for an event only to find out that the opening spread had the first paragraph repeated twice. Oh no. Right. So like and at the trade show, it arrived just in time. You're like ready to go. And yes. twice. And, 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 and the, the brand that we were um, uh, creating for was giving this out to um, you know, some of, some of their customers, some of the brands that they work with and the, and the, the first spread had just a glaring error in it. Um, and, um, I mean, certainly, you know, not throwing 
anyone under the bus, but the, the mm-hmm. learning here is that skipping steps doesn't save time, right? It only costs quality or money and, and often both, right? There's and, a saying and, in, the, in the print world where there's never enough time to, to do the project properly and not skip steps, but there's right. always enough time to reprint it. Yeah, well, that, right? that's, that's exactly it, right? And like, the reality is, and, and like we've, you know, sort of really, it's been the theme of today's discussion, like print is such a delightful medium when it's done right, but that requires getting the details right and not yes. just going through the motions. Like really understanding what's the QC checklist or what's the mm-hmm. process for a press check. You know, thinking about these aspects on every aspect of the project Mm-hmm. is is so important um, and it's really the things that you don't think about um, that reveal themselves after the print yeah after the point of no return really and that's yeah. obviously not fun um, but at the same time like you know I've experienced um, uh, just healthy relationships with printers where mm-hmm. um, where there have been you know mistakes during the 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 the, the press run um, in this particular uh, uh, instance, the um, the spines were cracking and the pages were falling out of uh, of this book and 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 you know we had a print partner um, reprint the project and literally jump on a plane with suitcases and duffel bags to hand deliver the books to deliver it to us again for another event and then just turn mm-hmm. around and, and and fly back home to guarantee that the you know, that, that the books made it to the event on time. And, you mm-hmm. know, thankfully there, there still are some people out there who are willing to do whatever it takes to, to make a deadline. That's why so. it's so important. Those relationships, like building sure. the relationships with a printer and really developing that. It's so important. If you're bouncing around from printer to printer, looking for the best deal or the best price, you know, you lose some of that. Yeah. And, and, and it, there's just, it's such a, um, a narrow way to, to gauge and evaluate who is the right partner mm-hmm. to to really build your your, your project team around, mm-hmm. um, and certainly I'm I'm not suggesting that price isn't an influence. It absolutely oh, the has reality to be. of it is yeah. But at the same time, um, that is only one aspect that influences the outcome of the project, right? Mm-hmm. And, and and so, um, I mean, in that instance, even though. There was a make good that needed to to, to happen. Um, it absolutely did happen, and you know the uh, the the books were were well received, um, and the trade show was a hit. And and actually, um, the handbooks that I was describing um, earlier, the the the, the little um, yeah. palm books, if you want to call them that, were the ones that were were, were having the pages fall out. And, uh, and, oh, and again, so at so least you can bringing, fit a lot of them in a suitcase. Bringing it full circle. Um, <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but like also, you, you know, and, and thankfully, you know, when situations like that arise, I mean, they're, they're key mm-hmm. learning opportunities. And um, one of the things I think that we often miss is, as creatives and as designers is like, it's very obvious when things are going wrong and there are, you, you know, um, postmortems and discussions about how to fix the problems and these types of things. But we often miss the opportunity to really study and understand when things go right mm-hmm. and 
try and really recreate those project successes and whether that's continuing to architect the same um, uh, print team or, or um, you know, follow those same steps. Um, you know, I think that, that people would find that they can, you know, have, um, you know, just less surprises on projects if, if they also study when things go right. Isn't that true? The analysis of a project that didn't go well is tenfold what it ever is for something that went really um, well. For sure. Or, or sorry, a project that went didn't go well. Right. You know. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. So before we dive into sort of this deep dive on the project we're here to talk about as well, I wanted to ask you from the from the founder and you know owner of a studio standpoint. Um, you know, students graduating from even a four-year graphic design diploma, you know, yep. the amount of sort of print preparation and print coverage is increasingly getting smaller yep. um, as taught in the program. So as an agency owner of a studio that does print, when you're bringing in new staff, especially younger staff, um, how, do you, how do you teach them print? How do you bring them up? How do you sort of teach them what to look for? How do you, sure. how do you handle that? Yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's like any medium, you know, really learning the nuance of it, learning um, the, the, the watch outs, the gotchas, right? Having that, that yeah. ability to anticipate what might happen um, is all part of that process. And whether you're, you know, teaching someone how to make film going from script to, to pre-pro, to shoot, to edit, to color, and so on. The same mm -hmm. um, um, uh, sort of steps exist um, with print. And so, you know, for, for people who, who are new to the team at GFC and might not have had the uh, sort of formal training uh, that really happened um, in maybe generations past, uh, mm -hmm. uh, uh, there really is a mentorship um, period in which, you know, and to use very old language, holding the candle and, and sort of observing and learning that way, um, shadowing, uh, uh, um, you know, some of the more senior creatives on the team is a great way mm -hmm. to, to, to be a part of that process. And, um, you know, I find that when you bring people in and really get into that deep nuance and learning how to use a loop and understand, you know, what's happening with dot and how the ink is laying on on a page and 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 so on. It's a really gratifying and rewarding uh, process because there's just so much more than you know kind of meets the eye and when you mm -hmm. look more deeply and start to break down you know some of those idiosyncrasies of the various steps of the project you know my experience is that is that creatives and 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 even what would be traditionally considered as non-creatives the, the 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 folks who are responsible for you know helping to manage the relationship and and mm -hmm. and um, manage timelines and so on. I mean, bringing um, the whole team into the process uh, helps people understand the dependencies, the if this, then that kind of relationships. And, yep. and there certainly is a higher ownership of the project, the project quality, the project delivery. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I certainly have had very little resistance from um, uh, newer members to the team um, learning the, the, the ropes of, of print. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think there's, I think there's a desire to do that. And 
the feeling of sort of taking something from your digital screen that you've been working on flat for so long yep. into, you know, uh, either a tangible package or a book you can flip through, like mm-hmm. all of those things, like that's an incredible experience. For sure. For sure. And it's just like, it's also, um, it transforms this idea that, that like you said, um, print existing first on your screen in a digital context mm-hmm. and then translating that and envisioning what that will become in its yep. physical form is a really exciting scape and place to, to, to focus your attention. Asking mm-hmm. those questions of what is the experience of you know, the piece in hand. Um, and so when you get creatives thinking in that capacity, um, it's just such a liberating process and, and is something that, um, yeah, a, a, again, is, is just so exciting and leads to, to unexpected and, and, and really brilliant outcomes. Love it. Gosh, that gets me excited. Okay, <laughs> For sure. Drew, Drew, let's get into the deep dive, my friend. I sure. want to dive okay. deep into this one specific project. Um, I want to hear, you know, the, the boardroom conversations, like when this first became a thing. Sure. That was even talked about and, you know, guide me through uh, this project process. What was the purpose? What was the, the goal? Like, sure. To, to just intro this yeah. project. What are we talking about? Yeah. So, so, um, well, just a little bit about the, the, the brand first. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, really when you look at it from a broad view, there's brands that sort of roll in and out of fashion. Mm-hmm. And, and Yeti Cycles um, has, they've just have this uncanny ability to maintain relevance throughout the decades. And really it's because mm-hmm. as a brand, they subscribe to the belief that, that the health of their brand is symbiotic with the health of the scene. So they contribute to it. And, yeah. and it's easy for me to say that, but for a brand to live into that reality requires uh, um, uh, going places, uh, doing things, creating experiences that quite frankly, um, most brands aren't willing to, 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 um, to do right. And, and, um, that's also just a telltale sign of the type of relationship that you'll have in working, you know, with brands and, and, and creating work is, is ones that really do understand that, there's more than a transaction taking place. Certainly, mm-hmm. um, the leadership team and, and, and everyone, you know, just right down to the core um, at Yeti understands that, that mountain biking is a lifestyle, right? And yep. because of that, um, they are really the most iconic brand in the sport. And they've got a legacy in racing and adventuring mm-hmm. and really driving the momentum of mountain biking. And like, you know, from, from Good Fortune's uh, uh, perspective, like it, it's an honor and it's also a responsibility to contribute to the brand's timeline, right? Because they've been iconic yes. and they've been around since 1985. And so we definitely feel the pressure and, and that responsibility to do right by the brand. Mm-hmm. Um, but the handbook is, is a really, it's a really special project. I mean, it was 240 pages and, and it had a singular goal and that was to inspire people to fall madly in love with mountain biking. And it's really less of a manual for riding and more of a manual for living. 
um, and so you know this this you know sort of manual for living in disguise was just such a an incredible project to be a part of uh, and and the delivery format is also interesting I mean you talk about um, Yeti's relationship with the uh, uh, the, the riders that participate in the brand, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You don't own a Yeti, you kind of join Yeti. Um, and, you know, they've got spread across the globe, just just passionate uh, uh, fans of the brand. And so this book is not something that you can purchase. In fact, the only way to get one is to um, join Yeti. And, and, and if you ride one, and you sign up for your lifetime warranty on the frame, this book arrives unannounced to Yeti owners um, along cool. with you know, a flag. Um, it's packaged up in, in a really cool recyclable box and, and, mm-hmm. and, and you get this flag of sort of the iconic sliding Yeti that riders, I mean, they, they, they wave the flag from mountains that they've summited, <laughs> they, 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 they hang it in the windows of their sprinter vans, they, they, they hang it proudly in their garages or their bike rooms. Um, yeah. and, so, and so that experience of, you know, really learning how to ride a Yeti right and how to, um, I mean, even the, the, the title of the handbook itself, um, and I'll just grab one here. Um, uh, the, the, the title is Tending the Roots for a Lifelong Relationship with Mountain Biking by Yeti Cycles. And I think straight out of the gate, it starts to set an intention for the space that the handbook can occupy in mm-hmm. people's lives. <clears throat> and, and so, you know, just from, um, I mean, you, t- you talk about, about collaboration and, and, you know, if, if I could just take a, 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 a quick moment to acknowledge the, the, the team effort. I mean, the trust from Yeti um, mm-hmm. and the belief that great design um, delivers ROI, right? Yes. But, but, but design first, right? As, as leading that. Mm-hmm. Um, from a GFC perspective, Evan Fry, the, the, the writer for this project, I mean, he absolutely crushed it and there is wisdom in the handbook that has relevance for the times that we're living in and the human condition mm-hmm. at large. I mean, it goes so far beyond mountain biking, even though that is the delivery format that the book mm-hmm. is packaged in. And, and you know, um, Daryl Spreen, the, the, the art director and um, the lead designer on this, I mean, he, he also just absolutely crushed the visuals and the impact that it's had on the roots, right? So those are the, the folks that, 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 that Yeti, you know, the, the term that Yeti uses in reference to the people who ride their bikes. I mean, like, mm-hmm. that's a whole other thing just in terms of the ROI. like. You know, we've organically um, observed Trailside, people talking about the experience of this handbook showing up completely unannounced. <laughs> That's awesome. Right? And going like, gosh, like Yeti goes all out. This book and this flag showed up at my house. It's so cool and so on. And people waxing on poetic about it. Um, I mean, that, that, that's the type of, of um, experience that doesn't really capture mind share. It captures heart share. And yep. it helps people participate and become lifelong participants in the brand and in the sport. And mm-hmm. really, I mean, there's language in this book that talks about, you know, Yeti doesn't really care whether you ride a Yeti or not. They care that you mountain bike. Yeah. And they're confident and there's, there's resolve in that statement because they know 
that if your relationship becomes deep enough with the sport, at some point you're going to interface with the brand. And because of that, yes. it leads to, to, to projects and outcomes like this. But, it's that understanding of investing in the community. You know, it's one right. thing to invest in your frame and developing the frame, but it's that's also right. an approach of, of investing in the whole community, the global community of biking yep. and, and making connections there. Yep. And so, like, we, we um, well, we presented the handbook in the very first creative meeting that we had with Yeti. And so, you know, flew down to Colorado and, and um, you, you know, met at HQ and, and all of that kind of stuff. But what's interesting was there actually was no brief. Yeti didn't ask for the handbook. They asked for, a, you know, some campaigns to help find uh, um, resonance with the, the, the folks that, that ride the bikes. Uh, and so we had campaign materials and, and video ideas and stunts and all sorts of, of um, press-worthy, crazy uh, stuff. <laughs> but the very yeah. last thing that we presented that day was the handbook. And to contextualize it further, we wrote and mocked up the entire book for the presentation. Come on. What year was this, Drew? 2017. So 2017. And we're actually on this, yeah, we're actually on the edition, the second edition of the handbook. Okay. Um, and so the, the, the Turk flooded version is that second edition, and it certainly has evolved from that, that very first view. But yeah. in terms of the chapters of the book, I mean, no, we didn't show up with a mock-up of 240 pages, but we showed up probably with 60 spreads. You Jeez. know, I mean, it was, yeah. and, and, and the whole thing was written. Um, and, and I read it in the meeting and it was the type of thing that, that, it, uh, the, the emotion in the room was palpable. You could feel, um, the need for something like this. And certainly, yeah. you know, it was one of those things that was trust building. Um, but, but also it clearly demonstrated that we understood, uh, needs for, for, um, uh, projects and, and, um, pieces like this even before yeah. our partners did and so um, I mean it just set the tone for the relationship and we just continue to make incredible work with them <clears throat> excuse me every every year so so that's like sort of the the backstory and the development of the piece and you know you had that experience of being in the boardroom and presenting 60 so odd spreads and you know yep. turning around to the room and going like oh yeah we got something here you know it, it fits right in terms of like the developing and crafting this from sure. what paper do you pick like sure. how do you tell that story and how do you pick one that aligns with the brand and the messaging and the story and all of the other pieces yep into like into the sort of the, the edition now where the whole thing is turquoise and brand colored talk to me a little bit about the specs and the actual production of this thing sure i mean it really comes down to thinking about what's the experience of the reader mm -hmm. what do we want to deliver there and mm -hmm. so again not thinking about print in a two-dimensional context <clears throat> excuse me but really thinking about that in an interactive way um, yes. What is the size in hand? What's its weight? How can we design it and, and select a paper stock that will give it um, some substance, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, um, the feel of the paper and the tooth of the paper, you know, having some personality and something tactile that really mm -hmm. connects back to 
the experience of, of, of mountain biking and, yeah. and, and not being too slick and sterile and things. And so, you know, all of those were considerations for us. Um, I mean, as far as the specifications of the book itself, it's 6.25 by 6.25, and it's just shy of an inch thick. So it has some presence in hand. And certainly when you open that up, it's got this incredible uh, uh, panoramic format, this double-wide format, uh, uh, two-to-one, that the photography... Um, that that uh, was created both for the handbook and a part of, of Yeti's um, archives, you know, are these vast landscapes. And so, again, we really wanted to have something that could express the visual phrases of those um, and really got us to a, a page count that um, would, would, would have some substance in hand. Um, we selected a, a lay-flat bind such that you didn't lose any information um, in mm-hmm. the spine and, and almost like, even though the book is smaller than a traditional coffee table book, you could lay it flat and really drink in um, mm-hmm. what you were seeing. Uh, the, 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 the stock on the inside, um, again, a fairly simple uh, um, uh, uh, approach to the print. It was a, <clears throat> excuse me, a five color uh, uh, job um, on the inside on uh, an 80 pound uh, cougar opaque white vellum text and we chose the vellum because yep. it it doesn't have that overly smooth feel to it it's, it's a little got some tooth personality little some tooth some yeah, character yeah, yeah. right and like there's a sound it makes when your when your hand runs across it and when you turn the pages that we liked right helping to create some of those visceral experiences and it's subtle but, but it is in these subtleties that you deliver these, uh, um, you know, the, the, this impact. And then yeah. the, the cover itself um, was, um, uh, well, it was three over zero, but it was, it was hit three times with a black flood on the inside of the, uh, uh, of the cover, um, such that it showed up really, really, really dark and with presence. Uh, and the outside was a spot varnish. Um, with a, with a, a plate of, of gloss UV coating, and it was on a, a relatively substantive um, uh, uh, brand correct uh, color palette, one of the key color um, vellum sheets, the Caribbean blue, which matches Yeti's iconic turquoise color that they've been yeah. painting their bikes that color um, since 1985. I mean, it's what it, luck, hey? Well, it's one of those stories that that. You know, if you were to to harken back to that iconic um, uh, Henry Ford quote, right? You can have a, a Ford in any color as long as it's black. Well, <laughs> the same the same is true for Yeti. Only their black is is turquoise, and yeah. so their race team has been you know racing bikes that color. Um, um, and no matter the model, and certainly they do offer other colorways, but every single model comes in the iconic Turk, and it just made sense to, yeah. to bring that to life through the context of the handbook itself. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, and then, and then um, there was, of course, that matching edge print on the book to yeah. give it that flood, to give it that experience, and really give it a modern and contemporary feel. I mean, edge painting was something that was you know, just really popular with illuminated manuscript. And oftentimes you'd see, you know, gold leaf and, and, and things of that yep. nature that really helps to elevate, you know, the, the, the presence of the piece. And so we thought we would yep. contemporize that a bit and, and bring it to life, you know, with that edge painting. And, 
you know, uh, one of the themes in the book also, um, and I'll just call it out here, was this idea of, you know, letting your, your friends um, ride your, your, your Yeti. And so hearkening back to that very um, um, archaic and analog model, but we created a bicycle loan card, just like the library <laughs> card that you would see for signing yeah. out um, a book. And so there's a borrower, <laughs> a, a due date and a return date to have your, you know, your friends try out your Yeti. And so all Love sorts of, of experiences that, that, you know, really um, added to, um, well, just, just uh, um, being a part of, uh, uh, of having the, this, this book in hand. So with 240 some odd pages, yep. there's got to be loads of great photography throughout this thing. Sure. From a file and sort of preparation for print standpoint, how did you guys handle the photography, um, you know, that obviously I'd, I'd would believe it was not done exclusively just for this piece, but you know, sure. done by a variety of photographers at a variety of events and yeah. all this stuff. Like, how do you compile that and prepare it for print? Sure. So, so, um, I mean, it's it's such a great point because a lot of people think about a project timeline with a very myopic view of mm-hmm. how long it takes to, um, you know, design the book, right? And certainly, again, <laughs> yes, that's yes. one lens. And, and it is where, you know, as designers and art directors, we spend most of our time. But mm-hmm. there was custom photography and custom illustration, you know, that was created uh, uh, for the handbook. But beyond that, there's literally decades of, of, of archives of photography, you know, right mm-hmm. from the early days of, of Yeti um, right through to today that needed to be uh, um, retouched needed to be color corrected and needed to ensure that the fidelity of the photography would come mm-hmm. through on the page without losing its spirit, right? Embracing yeah. the grain um, yes. that you get in various photo formats, you know, not trying to make um, an asset something that it isn't, but embracing that. I mean, we even have um, uh, spreads within the book that juxtaposes the uh, uh, very early days race team photography with modern days and created some um, collages that ultimately got photographed in a tactile um, analog kind of way and, and, and brought it to life for the spreads. And so not only yeah. were we dealing with photography, we were printing photography, photographing it, and then retouching it to be <laughs> um, in the book. And so, yeah. um, I mean, images captured around the globe by some of the world's best um, mm-hmm. action sports photographers. I mean, Sterling Lawrence, Joey Schusler, Craig Grant were really the, the key contributors, but, but so many other um, just incredibly talented photographers mm-hmm. uh, um, that, uh, that brought this to life. And so projects that are this visually rich require a level of this talent to, 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 to bring it to life. And so, again, you, you know, as the designer, you think, hey, like, you know, I'm really responsible for, for making this happen, but there's just, there's so much more that goes into it. Oh, <laughs> there have to be, have yep. to be with that much. So you've, you've, you've gone through the process, you get all these images ready, you're, you're building this book, it's ready to go. How did you guys handle proofing sure. for a project of this magnitude? You know, because when you're proofing things, it's not very often where you get to feel that paper with your photo on it. 
you're sort of like in this hybrid mode of this is the color proofs and then this is the blank paper that they'd be printed on. You know, so can you sure. talk to me a little bit about the proofing and if there was press checks and stuff? No, absolutely. So, so, um, a great question. And it's interesting because our proofing process is slow. So, um, Yeti being based in, um, the U S it made sense to mm -hmm. produce in the U S, um, mm -hmm. um, particularly with this latest edition, uh, of the handbook, it was created during the pandemic. Um, mm -hmm. and so, uh, uh, you know, shipping things across the border was just, uh, uncertain. And so um, we had the opportunity to partner uh, uh, with Classic Color um, out of Chicago and, and, and mm -hmm. an incredibly detail-oriented and, and, and visionary um, owner, Ray Bell, absolutely understands and loves the craft of print and is something that is so like-minded in both um, the way he runs you know, his print shop and, 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 you know, drives towards the craft and quality of the project. And so, mm -hmm. I mean, I think he's, he's one of, of um, America's best uh, printers and we have a longstanding relationship with him. And so, again, in the project schedule, um, we gave ample time to send physical proofs back and forth. We could do samples, we could do mock-ups, mm -hmm. feel the weight of the book diff with different stocks and make really informed decisions about how we wanted to bring it to life. And so yeah. those were getting shipped between Chicago and, 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 and Vancouver um, with sometimes some border wait times, hopping on Zoom, <laughs> For sure. sending back uh, uh, detailed notes and, and lots of discussion um, around the work. And then when it came time um, to, to deliver um, on a press check, I mean, if um, the, the, the project will allow for a live press check, um, then, uh, th then certainly we go. And we think that that is absolutely mandatory um, mm -hmm. with the longstanding relationship that we have uh, with Ray and, and his team at Classic Color. Um, you know, we were able to do that live digitally. And so it is um, photography being sent back and forth of Pantone books matching, you know, press polls mm -hmm. and, and things like that. But again, um, there <clears throat> is a high degree of trust that's been built up over years of, of working oh, together. Sure. And so um, there weren't any GFCers on the, uh, on the press check and, and we are uh, um, more than thrilled with the outcome of the book. It's the classic FaceTime press check, right? <laughs> well, yeah. I think that, that that's where if technology is used as a crutch, that's where you can have some of those gotcha moments uh, surprise mm -hmm. you. Yep. Um, and so um, there really was not an opportunity for us to physically be there yeah. um, during the time of press. And uh, if we didn't have the longstanding relationship and a history of live press checks, we mm -hmm. would not have um, printed the handbook without having a, a, uh, a someone from Good Fortune Collective there um, on the day and Definitely. part of that process. Because even the relationship with the uh, um, press person who is really bringing, you know, and delivering the the, the project um, on the press, the densities of the ink, how it's laying on certain pages, being and able to craft. Uh, um, have that influence. It is a craft. And a lot of people don't realize that you press print and it just comes out that way. Well, that's not the case, right? And, <laughs> no. And so, and so it's, um, it's important for people to, you know, 
understand that if, if, if you don't, and if you do, then not use the FaceTime press check as a, as a crutch. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So I want to ask, you know, Drew, when, when you've gone through this process, the, like a full design process, everything, you've gone through the proofing, you're getting photos, you've got this great relationship with the printer. Yep. When you get the first copies arrive at the office in a box, tell me about that feeling when you're about to open that box <laughs> and see the finished thing for the first time. Tell me what's going through your mind. Sure. I mean, it's, it's, it's excitement. Um, there's always, um, uh, a level of, of uncertainty. I mean, you, you certainly always hope that you, um, have, uh, uh, trusted the process and not mm-hmm. been surprised yeah. by anything. Um, again, having, uh, done this for a long time, um, I think it's important never to become complacent or just believe that because you've done it for a while that it's going to work out. And so, you know, there, there, there always is, uh, uh, um, uh, well, geez, it's not anxiety, but, but, you know, you, you, you hope that it, um, the project, uh, uh, comes out with the right vision, but, but having that experience of, of, of opening it up and looking at it, uh, with a critical eye, um, mm-hmm. is, uh, is something that, uh, that, that certainly we do quite quickly, but not before having the opportunity to enjoy, um, the, the experience of, um, holding, smelling, turning the pages, and really um, having that, that moment to, uh, to celebrate uh, what you've created. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, celebrate it quickly because then you go back and look at it with that critical eye, but not <laughs> yeah, robbing exactly. yourself of, of, of that yeah. process um, either. So Have a good so, yeah, flip I mean, through and then go fun. back to it with the loop. That's right. That's exactly it. <laughs> Perfect. So give yeah. me the, give me the sort of brief feedback on, you know, you, this is iteration two, sort of version yep. two of what this piece is. That's what right. was the, what was the client's feedback when they first got a copy? I mean, geez, Yeti is, is such an incredible um, partner of ours and they are so shared in the enthusiasm for the work. And again, mm-hmm. that's something that they implicitly understand in their business it's not only enough to have the best suspension technology on their bikes, the silhouette of the frame and the experience of working on the bike for maintenance or, or, or you know, changing parts also has to deliver on the level that matches yes. you know, that, that premium uh, um, uh, and, and high-end you know, kind of uh, experience. And so mm-hmm. you know, they understand and trusted the, the design decisions. And so when they hold it in their hand, they, they also acknowledge and appreciate those details of you know, the weight, the touch, the feel, um, you know, the way that the, the light uh, uh, um, you know, really uh, uh, catches across the type that wraps around the spine. I mean, yeah. they're uh, uh, appreciative and fans of, of, of high design and, and well-crafted experiences as much as, you know, we're fans of, of the way that they engineer their bikes. Yeah, 100%. That's such a cool moment. You know, if they can hold that in their hand and say, this is us. For sure. It's like mission, mission accomplished. Absolutely. And again, like, mm-hmm. you know, those are big shoes to fill. So, <laughs> yes. So, 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 so yeah, it's, it's just, um, yeah, it certainly is. Again, it's, it's an honor to, to be able to, um, mm-hmm. to deliver on that level. So uh, just as we wrap this up, I got a couple of last questions here for sure. you. Yeah. Um, 
the we talked about you know how there's literally decades of photography that really you could break it down and say that was the beginning of this handbook that photo from 30 years ago like that's the beginning but in terms of i've opened up in design and i've now started building this to holding a finished book in your hand what is that time frame like i want to say it was about a four month process um, only four months yeah, I mean, we, we um, go deep on our projects. Yeah. Um, and, and we like to create um, uh, dedicated teams and carve out space for our yes. creatives to really focus. Um, mm-hmm. And it doesn't necessarily mean you need a lot of people. Um, it just means that yep. you need the right people and you need to create the conditions for them to be successful. Mm-hmm. And also bringing in your partner such that they understand the cadence um, and, and the types of approvals that you, that you need um, to be able to deliver on the level. But yeah, it, it was, um, uh, I would say, a typical turnaround time for us for, for a project like this. Yeah. Awesome. That's, that's what I on because it happened, you know, during the last couple of years and all of that. Sure. It was like, yeah, I was in my head, I was like, a year. Like just yeah, to, no. to build something of this magnitude, but you're right. When you've got that devoted team yep. and you're working at it, it's, it comes to life. Yeah. The, the, um, sourcing and, and producing the flag was actually, um, more challenging than producing <laughs> the book. And, and by no means am I suggesting that we spent four months, you, you know, making that happen. But, um, but yeah, there was, there was more, uh, um, that was a less linear path actually. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the flag, who would have thought like 240 exactly. page book or one single flag. It's... Yeah, exactly. But also like, you know, figuring out how the flag interacts with the book when it's being shipped and how we could use the flag to help protect the book such that it arrived, um, you know, without dog-eared corners and, yeah. and, and, and arrived as intended. I mean, those were all considerations and, um, places where we were, we really were thoughtful about, um, you know, the overall experience. Perfect. Um, yeah. what, uh, what advice would you give a designer who sees great things like this Yeti handbook, great packaging out there and really wants to get started with print design? Where, what advice would you give them where to start? It's really, it's really about thinking about the entire experience that you mm-hmm. want people to have when they're interacting with the the book or the product or packaging or whatever it is that you're, that you're, you're, you're trying to, um, support and deliver. Mm -hmm. And I think that also really embracing and understanding that print is an interactive design experience that is tactile, Mm -hmm. um, like the books that (laughs) my grandma read me as a kid. Right. Um, and so the cadence in which the pages are intended to be turned, and the impact of how the information is being absorbed, the materiality, the weight, the, the, the presence, and, and hopefully the circularity uh, and the sustainability all play a role in the impact um, of the project, uh, both for the individual who's experiencing it and globally, right? And so yeah. when you really get the details right, but you don't lose the big picture, then you have an opportunity to deliver the full potential of a project. Yeah. And so really thinking of it more than 
a flat sheet of paper that you're putting some ink on. Like it, it's, it, it absolutely it's a full is experience, not right? That for sure. Yep. <laughs> Definitely not. Um, Drew, this has been an incredible conversation. You, uh, I really enjoyed this chat, especially diving into this book and hearing a little bit more about you and sort of your ethos and creating great sure. experiences and tangible experiences like this. So thank you so much for your time today. No, I, I, I appreciate the opportunity and, and you know what, I mean, it, it's nice to also contribute to the community of, of designers and, and have mm-hmm. Um, discussions and forums in which you know we can talk about these details because they count um, and mm-hmm. uh, and and they're definitely not an accident so um, yeah no I, I appreciate the time and, and thanks for for the stoke on our work awesome and where can people find out more about good fortune collective where can people find out more about you sure uh, so so goodfortunecollective.com long to type in but I assure you you will find us but it's worth um, it. <laughs> if you want to find our, our website, um, at Good Fortune Collective on Instagram and and um, drop-ins are, are absolutely welcome. Um, our address is, uh, is is on our website. And so if you find yourself in, in, in Gastown, then, um, then yeah, pop on by. Brother, I'm going to take you up on that one. <laughs> Please do. Yeah, okay. <laughs> awesome. Hang on the line just for a second. All right, that is the end of today's episode, everybody. I told you, what an awesome story. I loved what they created. And definitely go look at the visual, the photos of this thing. It's such an incredible piece. I, I can't say that enough. Great job, Drew, and the team at Good Fortune Collective. Amazing. Now, again, on May 12th, we've got Print Design Mastery kicking off, opening up. It's only going to be open for four or five days, and then we're closing it down again. Um, But don't miss this opportunity to grow your print design skills and become a print design expert and start taking those on-screen designs, those mock-ups, and turning it into real tangible products that you can put up on your shelf and be really proud of. You can see out in the retail environment and get excited about. Don't miss that opportunity. Coming up on May 12th with Print Design Mastery. That's it for now, and we'll see you next week.